Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let me push my button. There we go. I finally got the right button to push. See that? Feeling much better. Got some medicine from the doctor. Won't see the dentist until May, but uh, got some medicine from the doctor to cut down that uh, infection. So you can see the cheeks aren't like out to the side. I don't look like the chipmunks anymore. So hopefully it stays that way and I feel much better. Thanks, everybody, for coming. My name is Charlotte. I'll be your host for the next hour. I've got a great show tonight. Oh, my, I'm so excited. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of sunny Sacramento, California. And it's sunny today. We're 35 strong up and down the state. And we have people almost in every county in California. And if we don't, people in the nearest county will go help you. Okay? Uh, we're totally nonprofit. And I mean totally nonprofit. And uh, because we're just in it to help people. That's what we do. You know, we're not in it for profit. If you want to donate something, that's cool. If not, you know, that's just the way we are. It's an educational thing. That's why we have that ticker at the bottom right there. Because we, you know, we take donations. You know, we're, I'm the one that, that funds all this stuff. And uh, so if something breaks, you know, someone's got to pay for the internet. Someone's got to pay for computers and all that good stuff. It comes out of my personal pocket, even for the equipment for the paranormal team. So, uh if you find it in your heart during the show or you like the show enough that you want to help us stay on the air and help help my group out, that'd be great. You know, you do it at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, we have a Venmo. And just go to Venmo, type in California Haunts. That easy. Anyway, I want to invite you all to the show. If you're watching on YouTube and you like what you see, please subscribe. Uh, the little subscribe button is the little guy down in the corner, the ghost with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat. He's our, he's our California Haunts mascot. He's also the mascot for our junior investigating team. So uh, if you feel like you want to subscribe or tell your friends about us or whatever you want to do with it, hey, push that button. We have 240 videos over there on YouTube and different topics. We just don't do paranormal topics. We do different topics. Tonight, our guest. Let me pop over the chat room. Let me see who's in. Hello, Athena. Everybody's getting in the chat room. I know everybody's just getting off work. We just had Easter. I hope everybody had a good Easter. I had a good. I had a great Easter. My family was in town. Got had a great dinner yesterday. Got got a nice basket of chocolate. Oh my gosh! In fact, I had a chocolate Easter bunny head, a Dove chocolate, mind you, just before I started the show. So I'm in good humor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I hope everybody had a great Easter. But we're getting started. If we're going to roll, start rolling again. Tonight, our guest is Dr. Michael. I hope I say his name right. He can correct me. You guys know how I am with names. Dr. Michael Breen. They call him the travel psychologist. And you're going to find out why. But I'm going to let him tell you why. Okay? Without me messing it up or something, I'm going to let him tell you why. That's the only way to do these things. So without further ado, let's bring him on. How you doing? Good, hello, sir. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. That's a younger version of me some <laughs> years back. <laughs> it's a constant reminder. That's okay. When, when I do my PR shots, you know how they have those filters for like uh, movie stars and stuff? I look really good in my PR shots. <laughs> so tell, all right. us tell, tell us all about you. Well, I was uh, going to be a chemical engineer out of high school. I was good in science and math, and, and I figured just because you're good in some subjects doesn't mean you're going to be a chemical engineer. Well, I learned really quickly that wasn't for me. And I uh, uh, came back to where I was uh, raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, proceeded to get a bachelor's degree and an MA in psychology, mainly clinical psychology and industrial psychology. 
and uh, I was going to do, I wanted to do a PhD. So I kind of was on a track to become a clinical psychologist. Then I had already been bitten by the travel bug, seriously bitten by the travel bug. A year before I had to make a decision, well, where was I going to go to do a PhD in clinical psychology? Well, Temple University in Philly that was kind enough to offer me a really nice fellowship to stay and do the PhD there in clinical psychology. So I threw all caution in the wind and went to the University of Hawaii instead. I don't want to hear that. Well, neither did my parents. <laughs> they didn't want to see me throw away a fellowship. Ah. And so I decided I would go to the University of Hawaii, oh, get a, earn a PhD in psychology, and study the psychology of travel, no oh, less. And of course, they didn't think anything like that existed. Right. And I said, hmm, that's your attitude. And who are you to define what this field is all about? I don't think I want to be here. <laughs> so I started to walk out of the room. It was all these faculty people surrounding me you know, and scaring the hell out of me. And I thought to myself as I walked out the door, oh, that's another brilliant move you made. Now, this is the first minute of the rest of your life. What are you going to do now? And then I heard the pitter-pattering of feet running after me. And <laughs> two humanistic psychologists grabbed me by the shoulder and said, you stop where you are. Just because they said that doesn't mean the rest of us agreed with them. Get your okoli, that's a Hawaiian word that I'm not going to translate. Use your imagination. Get yourself back there. And I proceeded to earn the doctorate in social psychology, but I studied everything that had to do with uh, travel, nonverbal communication, the psychology of the human use of space, including like conversation distances, nonverbal meanings of eye contact, all kinds of stuff. And I even did a little stint with the University of Hawaii's Peace Corps program, cool. which basically were training people on one of the outer islands to go do Peace Corps service. And they had two programs, Tonga and Samoa. So I joined the uh, people at the Tonga program. And for three months, I studied the Tongan language of all things. And then I returned to Oahu, finished up my PhD, did a master's degree uh, also in business, and promptly got hired by the University of Maryland's global campus all over the world. And they invited me to come to Europe to teach. So I had two different courses armed with a Volkswagen bus. I began to teach for two years over in Europe. And, uh, and silly me, I thought, well, how am I going to learn about the psychology of travel? How should I do that? And I decided, why don't I just ask people? And that began approximately 40 years of interviewing travelers all over the place for what's interesting that happens happened to you in your travels. Okay. So I interviewed somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people about that. Now, I had a parallel interest going on, which I did not talk about all that much to, uh, you know, a, a psychology faculty. And that was I, I was interested in the paranormal. Mm. And I got interested in ufology, the study of UFOs. And at the beginning, I guess this was like somewhere in the middle of 50s. I remember reading a magazine uh, was Look Magazine or Life Magazine. Some people may remember this. Had a double-page spread of what looked like a flying saucer shooting across the skies. Wow. And it was an article about UFOs. And I thought to myself, that looks like something interesting, maybe something important. And it was not that far off from my interest in psychology and studying how people relate to one another traveling. Mm -hmm. It's a natural extension of that. Supposing there are other intelligent beings in the universe, or should we say intelligent beings in the universe with us or beside us, 
I'm not going to argue that, but <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, it was just a little extension of that thinking about what it would be like if we had the opportunity to interact with aliens and maybe aliens could come here. Maybe they have been here. Maybe they will come here. So that was a parallel interest. I got very interested in ufology and in the paranormal. So that's my history. And I've been writing books ever since. Yeah, when you asked, how did you approach people, like, you know, doing, doing the travel thing and then asking them about, like, UFO incidents or anything? How did you get around to doing that? I mean, it's not that easy to ask people. No, it's not. But uh, when you ask somebody, what's the most unusual experience you've had in your life or in your travels? Guess what? That is like a switch, like a light switch. Because as you very well know, and a lot of us know, someone who's had an experience of the paranormal or ufology or just a strange, odd experience, what do they want to do? They want to share that with other people because they want to understand it better. So there's a tendency of people, when you open that little door and say, anything unusual happened to you that you might like to talk about? Wow. That opens the floodgates. Now, you and I, I'm sure, have been to many, many conferences of all different types, the paranormal and right. ufology. If you ask people in an audience, how many of you, by a show of hands, might have had an unusual experience like a UFO sighting? And what do you know? A third to half the hands rise up in the audience. And why? Because they want to share that with you they want to understand it better and that's why they're there for example i want to give you a really interesting good example sure uh because people say well there's only kooks are interested in this stuff it doesn't happen to everybody well it happened to this uh university of hawaii professor of japanese language and literature who got his phd from harvard and he had a uh, really moving UFO experience in Hawaii. And he started coming to all our meetings. I got to know him. He became a good friend. And he said after he had his experience, he went out and read somewhere between 100 and 200 books wow. on the subject. And he just couldn't wait to talk to other people and hear what their experiences were. Because it's like I got bitten by the travel bug. Well, I got bitten by the UFO and the paranormal bug as well. There are parallels. So I've been recording experiences of people for like four decades, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people. I lost count, and a lot of these people were before the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's hard to keep track of a lot of people, but I recorded most of these. I have most of these on audio tapes, now transcribed in their digital MP3 files. So I have access to, uh, you know, working on some of the stories for books that I'm writing, and I can listen to the people that I interviewed, and uh, just like I was with them the days maybe 20 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. And you know what's kind of fun? I would ask people, for example, I'm writing a book right now on pickpocketing and thieves and scams and cons that are pulled off on travelers. Nice. And others. And I, I, 30 years ago, I asked a question. Well, now that you've gone through a pickpocketing experience, what would you different? What would you do differently now that you have been through it? How would you interact? And what kind of change has it made on your life? And you know what? I listened to my interviews from 30 years later, and guess what? I'm asking the same questions back then as I am now. <laughs> so. I am probably one of the few psychologists in the world who has uh, conducted so many interviews of travelers and other people with all this range of experience. So I think that kind of sets me off a little bit from many other people, at least all the researchers I've ever met. Mm -hmm. It does. It's interesting to me because I had a friend who was seeing a psychiatrist and she was a uh, she had her own paranormal team, which was based off mine. And, you know, it's hard to find a psychiatrist, you know, a PhD, you know, psychiatrist who believes in this stuff. 
and she hit the she she hit a bullseye because she called and she says you're not going to believe this my psychiatrist believes what i'm saying she understands wow. yeah and so it's very rare people like you are very very rare but you know what it's it's interesting because over time i've met many people of yeah. course and i've met people with all kinds of advanced degrees and training in different fields and MUFON has attracted people like me who were open-minded enough and not closed by our education. Right. You know, right. it has a tendency of shutting people down if you're not careful. And I did not allow myself to get shut down. I was open to the varieties of experiences that people could, people had. And, you know, the late John Mack of Harvard, who was very involved in psychiatry with Harvard, uh, had interviewed so many people with so many stories that he came to the conclusion, you know, some of these are so similar and, and they're credible and these people aren't crazy. So there's something to this. Mm -hmm. And, and I uh, always had an open mind and, uh, you know, to coin a phrase, or let, let me let me say, I borrow a phrase that stuck with me from the late great Stanton Friedman, and that was his so-called gray basket. Mm -hmm. You know, we have circular circular files, which of is <laughs> this is a circular file. Frequently, and the gray basket is my most important file because things move in and out of the gray basket. You you could trash some stuff in the gray basket or you can go and relook at it a little bit later when you have more data mm -hmm. more ideas of what people would would have been closed-minded to 10 years earlier mm -hmm. pull that out again look at it and maybe put it in some kind of category i want to give right. you a good example of that is in the beginning of mufon the mutual ufo network you know, it was all about nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. The talk and study of and about flying saucers was all about machines. And you could never mention the concept of an abduction and get anybody serious attention. But 10 years, 20 years later, the idea of abductions is now mainstream, isn't it? Yeah. And so it'd be very easy to toss all the stuff about abductions into the circular file instead of the gray basket file, which you could take a look at later. Sure. Because I like to say, you know, it might sound a little silly, but 21st century science to me still uses the concepts of earth, air, fire, and water. We're looking at the universe in terms of maybe a little more than earth, air, fire, and water, throw in a little consciousness if you like sure. and and what have you oh science a thousand years from now a million years from now is going to have a few more words for these things like they say the inuits have 30 different words for snow well science two thousand years from now is going to have a few more words beyond earth air fire and water right. to explain what's going on right. that's where i'm at well, I agree with you in that, you know, um, one of my favorite books of all time is The Ghost of Flight 401. Oh. Because, okay. I mean, there's pilots, reliable witnesses that, that, that saw this happen to the, right in front of them. You know? And would you reiterate that briefly for those out there <clears throat> who yeah, might not know exactly what that is? The Ghost of Flight 401 was an aircraft back in the 70s. There's an L-1011 that crashed in the Florida Everglades on New Year's Eve. And uh, what happened was, is they took parts off the airplane and refurbished them and put them on other airplanes. And flight staff, including pilots and stewardesses, saw, saw the captain, the dead captain and the dead engineer appear on these other airplanes. And that's what makes it so cool, because you've got people that, that like you say, you know, these guys, these educated people that see this stuff. It's not just, it's not just, you know, I'm not saying it, that. And uneducated people see stuff too, but I'm saying you've got people that that you know have degrees and they're trained they're trained observers, and they're seeing this stuff, and that's what makes it so that's what makes it so unique and cool. 
And they also have a background in the scientific method. Right. There's right. a methodology that's useful and important, but it's not the be all end all of it. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I agree with you 100%. Now, with Hawaii, I know a little bit about Hawaii, Hawaiian legends and, and pertaining to travel. I don't, I forget which island it is where they have huts like in the middle of the forest and people have stayed in these huts and they've heard drums. Mm, oh, okay. The, uh, the so-called akulele. Yes. Which were the uh, warriors. Yes. Hawaiian, ancient Hawaiian warriors. Yes. And if you heard them coming your way, you were not to look at them directly. Right. There's a lot of uh, myths and stories from Hawaiian history. And uh, let it also be said, because I lived for 40 years in Hawaii, and I was a state director for Hawaii for the MUFON organization, Hawaii had way more than its fair share of cases, mm -hmm. UFO cases. So I think that the ancients certainly tapped into the paranormal and probably had experiences of uh, strange things in the sky and uh, legends continue and uh, I always heard interesting stories and in some of my books some of those stories have a appeared uh, that don't appear anywhere else interesting right, right well I gotta, I gotta I gotta read that I'll tell you that right now that intrigues me um yeah when we talk about the ancients you think about what chariots of the gods that book that was out and the photos that he got. You know, the inscriptions on the pyramids, on, you know, on the, on the side, you know, the, the petroglyphs of what looked like spacemen, sit, you know, sitting in a space capsule, mm -hmm. even then, you know, and then Ezekiel, even in the Bible, you got Ezekiel talking about the wheel up in the sky. So this has been going on for years. It's been with us probably long before we were even on the scene. And uh, I think that you have to have a certain degree of openness to this, it's very easy to, to discard a lot of stuff because you're going to say, oh, well, we don't have the real good evidence right. for this. But we certainly have the weight of people's experiences and how they express those experiences, like you're saying, in terms of legends, uh, religious texts, what have you, that you have to, I think, keep an open mind. In other words, keep all the stuff in the gray basket if you don't totally accept that it is true right. and have a broader mind so that you can juggle these things and let them over time maybe create a new mindset which we have another good phrase for that and that is paradigm mm -hmm. you know you don't get changes in paradigms instantly overnight mm -hmm. What you get is a a certain welling up among a lot of people over over a period of time, where the concept becomes more fits better than it did before, and and the example of for example ufology being open to some of the weirder stuff mm -hmm. rather than strictly just nuts and bolts was something that took a lot of time in looking at this whole phenomena in order to expand our minds a little bit to accept some of this other stuff. You know, you can't just say I accept it or I reject it out of hand. I don't think that's how it works. Are there places me. more active than others as far as, you know, sightings and stuff? Well, uh, if you look at MUFON that gathers studies from all the 50 states and other countries at times and places and the the Nat, uh, national ufo reporting center with peter davenport uh you see that in terms of people reporting calling in things and filling out reports there's always that flow there's a flow of that now i can't tell you i i'll also say that there are many that are not reported Mm -hmm. And probably the majority of uh, paranormal or UFO experiences people have are, don't go into reports. We're lucky we hear them in bits and pieces right. and all that. But I just wonder in, in these uh, very difficult days that we're facing right now with 
threats of nuclear war maybe around the corner if uh i i wonder if uh sightings of ufos are on the increase i i just i'm not sure i'd like to ask other people what they think about that what what how do you feel have you talked to anybody about that do you think I, yeah i heard they're on the increase i think it's because people are are keyed up more and because if it if it does go to a world war or whatever it's going to come from the sky so everybody's looking up you know everybody's yeah. stuff in the sky right now and uh and i think there's a thought a feeling by some people that the more troubled our times the more these are being perceived mm-hmm because maybe they're maybe they're paying attention to what's going on right. with us. Yeah, they don't want us more. to hurt ourselves or you know or any of that. Because uh, it's nice we don't have to. We can't conclude that it's right. it is or it isn't, but we can consider it. And when you consider all these things, you get a broader look right. at the whole thing. You know, in considering the fact that supposedly there's there's a breeding program going on, you know, all this hybrid stuff. The last thing they want is for us to blow ourselves up. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. You think? Yeah. Well, you know, remember all those stories in the 80s where uh, there were claims of UFOs visiting nuclear installations? That, yes. And that wasn't just here. It was probably also the Soviet Union and whoever else had nukes. And that yes. was in the 80s. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I hope they're still doing it. Are those being still around? I mean, that was a long time ago. I, I hope there's interest in that uh and i hope they could do something uh to keep us from destroying ourselves that's my wish but uh, you know that that might be a pollyanna kind of thing now in your studies and talking to people and connect a little bit with travel again if somebody wants i don't know who the hell who the hell would want to be abducted but i'm just saying if somebody wants to go to a place that there's been a lot like a lot of sightings. Why they would want to go, I don't know. Well, I used to live by Mount Shasta, so I'm, you know, I'm bad that way. But uh, <laughs> if somebody wants to visit a place like that, where are the most, the more active places in the United States, do you think? That's a really good question. Uh, I think where people look up, <laughs> they're going to tend to say, look and ye shall see. Uh, you know, people have UFO sightings in the, the downtowns of big cities. Right. But by and large, uh, when people are camped out and they're in rural areas and the huge open desert areas of the western United States and the mountains, uh, and you're sitting back in your lawn chair and you're looking up, well, you may have the opportunity to see more than you think and and I, and I would say it's best for people to read some of the more current ufo books and see where people are reporting the cases right. so i have had a lot of stories come from even where i live in washington state oh yeah i think washington state is where the modern era began with uh, the mount rainier, rainier. overflights yeah. right and and there are i've interviewed people who had sightings living here on Bainbridge Island, which is opposite Seattle. Right. And uh, so wherever I talk to people, uh, and 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 I met so many people at a variety of UFO conferences, mm-hmm. and the local people and people from out of town, you know, they're all seeing and experiencing things where they live. So, uh, you know, I used to go to, Eureka Springs a lot, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, to the Ozark UFO conference. And, uh, you know, you just heard stories virtually of almost anywhere. But but I would say if if you want to have a, a, a sighting experience, uh, and I'm not saying you want to have anything more than that. You know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. But I say where you're in big open areas where you have a great view of, uh, unfettered sky, you know, you might have your uh, greater opportunity to see things that you might not ordinarily experience. 
elsewhere, you know. See, I was uh, I like I said, I lived in in Montague, which is about twenty miles from Mount Shasta. I had a great view. And you know, you go into weed places like that, the psychic shops, books. Everybody's talking about the reptilians that live, you know, at the base of Mount Shasta and all this. I was disappointed. I, I lived I lived six years up there. You know, I sat outside, I'm in my rocking chair out there thinking, okay, the top of the mountain's gonna open up. This is cool. I don't want them to get me, but I can see them, you know, take off. Never saw one. But there were people Well, did I, you did you want to see a reptilian in particular? No, I, wanted to see shit. I didn't want to see the reptilian. <laughs> I saw right uh, one of those praying mantis people. Uh, uh-uh, uh, not going to happen. Yeah, no thanks. No thanks, thanks. Brett, no thanks. No thanks. Uh, I and I lived in Ashland, Oregon, oh, for 13 years, and uh, I met plenty of people that had sightings in Southern Oregon uh, and throughout Oregon. So, you know, that area of California, north to Southern Oregon, and many people who I've interviewed in Portland who'd come to the Body, Mind, Spirit Expos where I had tables and I sat and interviewed roughly approximately 500 people collecting stories. Uh, many of them had experiences they talked about in Oregon and California. Oh yeah. What who would come common, to the show. Huh, yeah. What is a common theme that, that you found among the people you talked to? A common theme was that people would say, you know what? I know what I saw. Mm-hmm. I know what I saw. Damn it, I know what I saw. <laughs> you know, the very vehement, very assured, self-assured. And uh, so that was one of my uh, mantras, that most of the people who had experiences weren't trying to shove these experiences down people's throats. Mm-hmm. They wanted to share these experiences because they really believed they had them and they didn't think they were, they were crazy. And uh, so they knew what they experienced and they didn't like the idea of people just simply dismissing it and writing it off. Uh-huh. Then I had another mantra that in listening to people tell stories, especially this group that I told you about, in my contiguous universe, the road to strange, the contiguous universe was where I did a study of like 40 some people. Oh, thank you for showing that. There you go. That's the one the, the contiguous universe was a, is a collection of about 42, you might say case studies or studies of people that had multiple experiences and they were even more staunch and saying, you know, I know what I saw. I had these experiences. And when you, and this is an interesting thing, when you weigh a collection of 40 some people's repeat experiences of either the paranormal and or UFOs, Mm -hmm. one thing really jumped out at me, became my second mantra. And that is, well, if one of these things is true, what then? What do you do with that? But it's clear to me and clear to just about anybody else I've interviewed, is that um, you can very easily have more than one experience. Right. And then I discovered in my own life that I had a lot of experiences, and I feel like most, if not all of them, are, are what I thought, what they seem to be to me, and that is paranormal, real events, mm-hmm. not me being crazy, and that's kind of an interesting thing coming from a background of a social scientist, you know, somebody who is like steeped in social science, uh, but not blinded by it. Right. Like like me. um, You know, you can take a look at yourself and you can say to yourself, I think most of this is true. You know, I, I know what conventional explanations there are and I'm willing to consider anybody's explanation to me but when you've had one two three ten or more uh, really unusual experiences that are not easily explained away you just don't throw them into the waste basket right and and then you become most of these people that i interviewed for the contiguous universe uh 
were very matter-of-fact about the experiences that they had, and they sometimes had other people with them who also experienced things. Uh, they felt like they had certainly enough going for them that they personally were confident, you know, but not everybody else would necessarily think of them that, in that way, mm-hmm. especially those of the masses that are sit around, uh, sitting around thinking, well, I, I can only, I, I look at the universe in terms of earth, air, fire, and water, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And if you have that narrow attitude that you cannot, will not consider the weight of things happening to basically trustworthy, honest people like like John Mack felt that mm-hmm. most of the people he interviewed who had these abduction experiences were not crazy people. When you realize, gee, my aunt, my uncle, my cousin, my neighbor, my friend uh, has had experiences and they're not crazy and they're honorable people and uh you know, they all talk about some of the things that have happened to them. I'm not dismissive, but mm-hmm. I just don't accept it all willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. And in total, I use that so-called gray basket to file things temporarily, move them in and out. And suddenly, you know, and you talk to some 40 people that I have who have had multiple experiences, suddenly you begin to have a worldview that's a little broader than your typical social or physical scientists are willing to go. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's what writing that book did to me uh, in looking at these people with multiple experiences. It brought me to the point where I just had to entertain the idea that a lot of this is probably exactly what these people have said. Uh, of course, some of it might be in the hope and expectation of having re- repeat experiences, or right. you know. So I'm not saying all of these experiences have happened to people, but I- I'll give you a really interesting example. Okay, cool. I was going to ask you. I had over the years when I would go to this body mind spirit expos that my friends from Ashland, Oregon, put on, and they always gave me nice table and chairs to sit people down. I said, "Give me the." booth that's the furthest away from everything else going on. So I'm back in the corner and um, and people are sitting there and sharing their experiences with me. Uh, it's just incredible the amount of material that I collected. But I remember this one woman who had seen over the years and she was, uh, she described herself as a slow learner when she was a child someone that people made fun of because she was a slow learner, maybe a little slower than people, most people that we know. Mm-hmm. And, but yet she had a whole range of experiences in her life. And I just listened. I was riveted to listening to her experiences. And some of them were a little hard to accept. And some of them were way out there, but she would say something to the effect, that I told my father, be careful, daddy. We're going to come around and we may have an accident down the road. And the parents would say, oh, no, 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 no. Stop thinking like that. No, that's not going to happen. And it does happen. And they're they're amazed and scared of their own daughter a little bit because she has these experiences. I sat and listened to her and recorded her for a couple of hours. And I heard some of the most way out things that just didn't seem believable. And on the other hand, I thought of some of the things she talked about and they were extremely credible sounding. And this was a woman who said the kids pushed her into a closet because she couldn't keep up with the learning that they had. And, and, and that's how she became during an adult when she became as an adult. But when I listened to her and I was riveted to her telling me these stories, I found her extremely perceptive, extremely believable, and uh, I decided, well, she's going to be in this book, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you'll read her story and you'll think to yourself, well, these things are more headed towards my regular wastebasket, but there's stuff in there that uh, had me feeling 
and thinking back to my own experiences, well, I accept some of these way out things of my own experiences. Why not her for some of hers? And so that was just one. Each person brought a different thing about them to the idea. I mean, some of it was, for example, uh, I had a friend in Hawaii who I call a nine lives person. He did all these risky, scary things that he could have lost his life any number of times. But he did these things, and he prevailed, and nothing happened to him, and he actually, he liked living life on the edge, but some of his experiences were paranormal. And some of the paranormal stuff um, was definitely connected to a couple of the incidents where he was very close to losing his life. Mm -hmm. And that's why he had these paranormal things. So I was riveted to the, the very stories I was collecting from people, my own experiences. My co-author, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who I did two books with together in The Road to Strange. Hers were the first two books in the series. I don't know if you have those pictures. Maybe you do. There you go. So most people have heard of Rosemary. She was the most single most informed person on the the scope and width of the paranormal field. She knew we were friends over the years because we had gone to UFO conferences, the same ones. And uh, I knew her when we were in England looking at crop circles. And Rosemary knew that I collected so many stories. Uh -huh. And she says, Michael, why don't we do a couple of books? So I did these first two books. One was uh, really based on travel tales of the paranormal because I did one book on the collection of stories that I had with a lot of travelers. And the next one was UFOs, aliens and high strangeness because uh -huh. you could separate those out. And then poor Rosemary passed away in 2019 after we had done these two books together. And uh, so her story, basically I included in the next one, which is a contiguous universe which she showed before. And then my uh, huge reader, 600-page book of uh, all sorts of other strange experiences that did not make it into our first two books together. Mm -hmm. and, and I was drawn upon for a third book if we had had the opportunity together to do another book. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the, uh, the Road to Strange, A Psychic Reader because it's a compendium of a lot of uh, stories that uh, I still had of the paranormal, psychic, and UFO subjects and other weird things that happen to people that I decided to put it into a single volume because then I moved on to uh, doing some more books in which I call my True Travel Tales series, uh -huh. which are books on other things that happen to travelers. For example... I have a collection of wild animal stories, people's interaction with animals. I have a collection of close calls and great escapes. Uh, all kinds of situations people got themselves into, which they could have maybe avoided a lot of them. Mm -hmm. But what they did, most of them survived. Then I'd done one for the single solo woman traveler. Um, and that was called Travel Tales, uh, Women Alone, The Me Too of Travel, which nobody wants to read because it's the uh, horrible stuff. But I rewrote it and I put in, don't read this if, if uh, it's graphic. But my attitude was that I had to publish this. I had these stories about women traveling alone. And uh, I, I, I say put one of these in your daughter's backpack without her realizing it. Uh, I had to do that one. Then I took a break. I paused and I decided I would take all the funny stories. So I have a book called Travel Tales, Idiots Abroad. <laughs> and, and I proudly say I'm one of the idiots. So don't be fooled. I'm not writing about other people. I'm also writing about myself. 
<laughs> and then the funny situations people get into. And then I'm I'm close to finishing one on uh, pickpocketing and other thieves, con artists, and scammers in one volume there. So, so I've broadened out my writing. You know, I think, you know, like with your first book, too, you know, looking at that and the title and what's in it, you think about the different stories that, that you've read over the years. And what I think is cool, this is what I think is cool about what you're doing, is that the same people tend to be quoted in these books over and over and over. And there's nothing against that. You know what I mean? I've got nothing against that because those are famous cases. But it's nice to get fresh looks at different people that are experiencing stuff. Most of my material is never has never appeared anywhere else. Mm -hmm. A few classic cases I have. For example, I interviewed Jesse Marcel Jr. And I interviewed him about his experience when his father brought stuff allegedly from a from a UFO crash in Roswell. As I've interviewed some of the all-time greats, I interviewed J. Allen Hynek. I also interviewed uh, Stanton Friedman. And uh, with the idea that I wanted to interview them and, and Dick Haynes, Dr. Richard Haynes, formerly of NASA, uh, I wanted to interview these people in the same way I interviewed anybody else. I wanted to say, well, what kind of experiences have you had? And uh, so to some extent, I bring back some of the great cases they had sure. and reiterate a few of those. Sure. But uh, I did... Some of that, I tried to uh, interview some of the all-time ufology greats. Do a lot of towns, you know, have the I have a blue lady or a white lady? I know, I, I know the cemetery, <laughs> the, the old cemetery where I live in downtown, the old city cemetery. Of course, there's a blue lady that's dancing among the graves. You know, there's always one. So, do you find that you know in the interviews you've done that people have seen this blue lady or white lady either in the cemetery or by the side of the road? I've had plenty of uh, apparition and ghost stories. Mm -hmm. uh, not so typically what you're saying, although right. I've heard plenty of those stories, and I've had people tell me those stories. But I've had people uncover and tell me the paranormal, the ghosts and haunting stories that they have had. And I made an interesting sub-study myself. And this is part of my story, my personal story, in my Contiguous Universe book. And that is, uh, I had occasion to visit and see some hotels that the minute I saw these hotels, I said to myself, this hotel is haunted. <laughs> and I did some research on them. And let me tell you which ones these are because they're not all written up. One was a famous plantation in, uh, in Louisiana that was shared to me, and it had a history of hauntings. But uh, that's not one of my little special group, I'll tell you in a minute. I had another person tell me of uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, my co-author, experienced a haunting in a hotel in um, Pennsylvania, Gettysburg. Uh, this wasn't widely written up anywhere. I had a story of a hotel in Hilo, Hawaii, Whoa. of a haunting experience. And I'm going to tell you a funny one in conjunction with the next. Then I had three hotels I went to myself, the ones that I looked at, and I thought to myself, my God, these places are haunted. Now, did I have any real good reason to think that? No, it's just the feeling. And I've learned that I have some feelings that seem to point to psychic stuff. But one was the famous hotel, the Crescent Hotel of Eureka Springs. Whoa, okay. Do you, have you ever been there? I've heard of have it. You? Well, the first time I came to Eureka Springs, I was driving with a car full of friends, and we're driving down from the downtown area, and we're looking up through forests and trees and mists, and fog and drizzle, and there is the Crescent Hotel looming at the top of this hill with, uh, and betwixt and between all the mist and the fog and the drizzle. And I said to these people, 
that before I even know, knew anything about that hotel is haunted. And it's been on many, many TV shows. But, okay. Uh, have you ever been up to Bainbridge Island, Seattle, in that I area? Have. I have. You have. Yes. Well, on one of the neighbor islands uh, near Seattle is uh, San Juan Island is the Hotel de Haro. Okay. It's uh, just in, in one of the towns, not the biggest town on San Juan Island. Well, I got there. I had that feeling. I started asking around. I went into the hotel lobby, and I cornered people working behind a desk and somebody working in the lobby. And I said, is anything happening here, <laughs> you know, that you could share with me? And out came some of the stories of doorknobs shaking and, and uh, allegedly a ghost from uh, a restaurant that was attached to the hotel. And so I cornered the uh, security night security man and part-time manager and he shared a bunch of stories about the place and, and some that he didn't think were real but uh and uh i had a story of a guy whose brother was a waiter at the restaurant got terrified and and, and left from uh seeing cabinets of doors the dishes were placed in the cabinets flying open and just scared off nothing really horrible now, the McMinimins chain, have, you've heard of McMinimins. Yes. Anybody that lives in Oregon and Seattle area has heard of McMinimins. They take old schools, hospitals, mental hospitals, mental wards, and create bars and restaurants and okay. entertainment areas. And I went to this one. I can't think of the name for the second. Escapes me. But it was one outside of Portland that has a huge book. That looks like something like this kind of notebook huh. of 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 uh, apparitions and paranormal sightings wow. of guests and employees. And I sat there transfixed and read this thing. And I stayed there two or three times because I gave a talk at one of the McMinimins uh, theaters in in Portland. And uh, indeed, it had a history of hauntings and apparitions. Uh, and talk about the lady in white, the little girl in period clothing. Ah. There were several I read in there, and they were repeat stories. So one wonders. And the little girl dressed in clothing of like the 1890s or the 1900s, frilly white, you know, dresses, went up to people allegedly and said, hey, did you hear about the ghost? <laughs> and she was the ghost. That's the story. <laughs> Nothing ever really bad happened. An employee told me a little scary kind of thing, but nothing bad happened there. <clears throat> and when I stayed two or three nights, nothing really happened. But I wanted to tell you this one story, uh, quick, quick story that uh, what happened in conjunction with my interviewing people. <coughs> excuse me about the Hotel Harrow, Hotel de Harrow on San Juan Island. And that was, uh, I interviewed a guy who said he was traveling with a friend of his uh, to go back and visit his parents or his grandparents. I forget exactly what it was. They went to the house, <clears throat> and the uh, parents or the grandparents, I'm not sure which at this point, said, okay, we have the guest room. It's up in the attic. And he says, oh, okay. He goes up in the attic, and in that room were dolls. Oh, a collection of dolls. And just as you can imagine, what he said is there was one doll facing him. And it either blinked or it winked, one or the other, at him. And that's what he perceived that. Now, it might not have happened. Or he might have thought it happened. I'll, I'll give you that. And he ran downstairs and he slept on the couch. He couldn't wow. stay up there. So that's just funny. So I, um, in that chapter that I did... Uh, about the Hotel de Haro, I interviewed a couple that stayed there and had an experience in there that was, uh, wasn't scary, but it, they heard voices of people, and uh, and she went out the door, and there was nobody staying in that whole wing. It was off-season. There was nobody, and they heard all these voices. And uh, this particular woman that had that experience also claims that she's had other experiences, poltergeist-type things. She's in, in the book, The Contiguous Universe. Uh, 
Right. Uh, she is the girlfriend of my uh, cousin, actually. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, a little close right. to home. I was uh, having dinner over at her house on Bainbridge Island, and we were just sitting. The fireplace was there, and three dogs were sitting on the floor, and my cousin and her and I were seated in the little li living room. And all of a sudden, whoop, something, it looked, I mean, if a, if a bird flew through, at 100 miles an hour it this did so about a foot 18 inches off the floor but nothing was hit it didn't go anywhere it didn't come from anywhere it went whoop the dogs looked up they were totally caught off guard and the humans looked up all the living creatures in that room looked at that looked and went what is that and I said to her, do you have any other experiences like this happening in this house? She says all the time. Well, I'm not sure it's all the time. But that's the one that had the experience in the hotel as well. And she had other experiences, and I wrote her up. So, Well, that's, you know, that's usually a thing where it's, you know, she either has an attachment or she's psychic herself and doesn't realize it. So she's drawn to me. Well, she realizes it, but she didn't want to come right out and say, oh, yeah, I all the time but she's told me some of these other experiences uh -huh. and i conclude that she ought to be one of the ones that's in this book so that awesome my god i'm looking and i'm seeing i how much of the time do we have left yeah like, um, seven minutes look how look how quick that went well i'm sorry say that again seven minutes look how fast it went oh my goodness so so it's been so much fun. Yeah, let me uh, do what. What other things can you think of? So I don't totally monopolize. You know, everything. Oh no, no, no! It's fine. You're doing just fine. I'd love to hear okay. about how to travel. Everything. You know, whatever you want to throw at us is fine. Yeah. You know, um, if somebody wants to go visit, like like a haunted location, what which one would you suggest? After interviewing all these people, which one rings the bell at the most? Thank, thanks for uh, asking. Uh, what I suggest. I have an interesting way I'm publishing now. I publish through a company that's called Draft to Digital. Uh -huh. It's just wonderful. I mean, I can just do one book right after the other. It costs very little to publish, and they're really terrific. And they have created a thing that's called Books to Read. Okay. Books, B-O-O-K-S, the number two, then read, R-E-A-D.com, slash... And then my name, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, uh, dash, hyphen, Brian, B-R-E-I-N. You go to that. It shows all these books. You can click on any one of them and see what they're about and see if they're interesting to you. And here's the nice thing. It shows all the places you can get them. So some people like to get them from Amazon. Some people like to get them from uh, Barnes and Noble. So it's a great service and it shows all these books. And I think it gives people an idea of some of the things we were talking about. That's the best thing. Books to read.com okay. forward slash Michael dot Brian, just as you see on the screen. What do you say to people that have an interest in, in, in UFOs and, and ghosts and stuff and, 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 and they want to get deeper into it? From a psychologist's point of view, I say uh, follow your interests. Let it lead you to where it takes you. If by chance some of your own personal experiences are part of what motivates you to look further into it, I say talk to as many people as you can. Go to conferences, listen to podcasts, don't necessarily draw conclusions. You don't have to force conclusions. A lot of us don't really understand all this all that much, but we're open to it. We want to learn about it. So don't feel like you're going to necessarily get a conclusion or an answer or figure it all out. Mm -hmm. Just be open to growing with it and going along with it and see where that leads you. Fantastic. What's next for you? 
I'm finishing uh, a book on uh, pickpocketing and thieves and cons and scams. Then I think I'm going to pull together a lot of stories on the different foods and drinks and substances people have sampled around the world. I'm always collecting additional stories from people, even on UFOs and the paranormal, and occasionally having more interviews so people can feel free to contact me. And uh, michaelbryan at gmail.com is the best way. And I have a website, www.michaelbryan.com. But please email me to the Gmail address. And, of course, if there are some people that like to collect books with signatures. If you contact me, I can arrange for you to get a book that's signed by the author, if that's what's interesting to you. So I have totally enjoyed our uh, discussion tonight. I would love to have you back on at some point. Anytime. So uh, whenever that uh, seems to be right. Again, yeah. This is this was awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and really all the best. It. And I'll be uh, send me the links to this podcast, and I'll give, put a link on Facebook wherever I can. So thanks so much, and all the best. All right, keep up the good work. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, I learned a lot. That was fun. That was a great interview, and uh, really like him. I can tell you, I like him a lot. Uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Tomorrow night, we're going to be on at 5.30. We're shifting gears. I'm putting on my journalism hat because we're going to be in- interviewing Kathleen Ramsland, and she is going to take us inside the minds of serial killers. So that's going to be a cool show. We're going to be talking about Ted Bundy and different people like that. Okay? So don't miss that show. It's going to be at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. I want to thank Michael. I want to thank Michael again. That was great. Okay. Um, again, subscribe to our YouTube. If you like the show, share it, you know, and all that. And please subscribe to our YouTube if you liked it. It's a little guy down at the bottom right-hand corner. He's got the Sherlock Holmes hat on, and he's got the magnifying glass. And that's how you subscribe. There's 200 videos up there. And where am I? Ah, see, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, visit us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And if you're interested in our paranormal team, that would be CaliforniaHaunts.org. Also, next week, next Saturday, I'm teaching a psychic development class. Basic psychic development, if you're interested, if you think you might have psychic abilities, or you already do and you're trying to figure out a way to control your abilities, I teach that. That's over at our meetup. So go to California Haunts Meetup, and you can find us over there. And uh, I'll be teaching that next Saturday afternoon. All right. Well, as you see, that ticker's rolling along the bottom. And once again, um, you know, we're, we, we, we work as a nonprofit. We're not, a, you know, we're not a nonprofit, obviously, we, but we do take donations. So if you can find it in your heart to help us out a little bit, that would be great. You know, we got bills to meet and stuff to keep the show on the air. If you, if you like the show, help, help us keep things going, you know, because it's a great show. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the host. It's a great show. It's a really good show. Just like you, just like I said, we try not to do complete paranormal stuff. Tomorrow we're going to be, you know, have another psychologist on looking inside the criminal minds. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we do. We're going to vary our topics. All right. Anyway, I will see you tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. And I appreciate you all coming. And I'm going to, like, go ahead and show you his books again and his website. And you can go visit his stuff. Okay. So here we go. That's the website of Michael Bryan, B-R-E-I-N.com. And his books, The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal. And you've got The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness. And you've got The Road to Strange, the uh, <laughs> contingencies. I can't see it. I'm sorry. But you guys can see it. And the books are available, of course, at Amazon.com. Again, you know, if you feel in your heart, please donate at PayPal.me at California, at California Haunts. Or Venmo and then just type in California Haunts. But I want to thank you all. You guys, the numbers are up. Our subscribers are up. Our downloads, oh my gosh, our downloads have almost tripled in the last three months. I'm really excited. 
our, you know, our, our podcast downloads. So keep up the good work. Keep sharing us because, uh, I think people are, are going to catch on to our show. You know, YouTube shows us no love. So we want to keep that going and keeping the algorithms. Okay. Well, I will see you tomorrow at 5 30 PM Pacific. Bye.